Good morning, Crestview family. Before we start announcements this morning, if you are a member of the church, I need you to slip your hand up. Today is our deacon nomination day, a deacon election day. That's right. Not nomination, deacon election day. And they are going to bring our ballots around. Please remember to only select two. Because if you select more than two, they can't use your ballot and they have to toss it out. So only select two. You can select one if you want to. But no more than two. Alright. And so while they're passing those out, I am going to jump into announcements. Um, I got a lot of stuff to talk about. So being done, I'll be done with announcements by 1045. Probably. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's going to be a busy... So this past week was a busy, busy week. I want to start out by thanking everyone who came out and gave their time for vacation Bible school. Everyone was coming to me and bragging, and I'm like, listen, don't brag, don't brag to me. Brag to these other people because they were some amazing people out. We had on our max night, we had 26 kids on our max night, and I know that I saw God working not just in the kids, in these youth, I saw God working in the youth who were working and helping, and they did a fantastic job, and I was, bra I was coming, and that they were people bragging on them all week long as well. So I just want to thank you, and also, if you brought your kids out, thank you for that as well. I, enjoy I enjoyed having them um, and getting to know some of the ones. I met a few new kids. All right, so this week is another busy, busy week. Um, our all-you-can-eat breakfast is Saturday, so if you're going to come out for, and help for that, uh, or if you're going to come out and eat, don't forget about that. After breakfast on Saturday at 10 o'clock, we are going to have a work day on the playground. Um, we have some special people have donated some mulch and things, and we are going to uh, be working on... Um, a facelift on the outside, um, working on our playground, making it look a little more appealing, cleaning some things up. So if you can stay and help for that uh, after breakfast, or if you want to come, uh, that would be great. Uh, Friday, if you are going to feed the homeless, um, your donations have to be at the fellowship hall by 1115. Isn't that right, Joy? You have to be, your donations have to be at the fellowship hall by 11.15. If you're going to come out, I believe we're going to, we, we have to be at First Baptist at 12. Um, I will be here to drive a van if any youth want to go. Uh, be here no later than 11.30. And if you're shaking your head, you don't want to go, you might have to go. So, um, you better hope they put you on the work schedule is all I can say. Um, so... Uh, that's going on this week. Um, don't forget about our Wednesday night services. Our adult services are in here at 6.30. Our youth and children's services are out in the building at 6.30. Um, and there is a thing, there was a slide, and there is a thing in the bulletin about a middle school and high school. It's like a back-to-school rally. Um, it's um, August, starts August the 12th. It's two nights. 
Uh, we'll leave the church at 4.30 every day. If you're interested in that, talk to me. Let me know you're going to come. Uh, I don't think there are any more announcements. I think I've missed anything. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Artie, and he's going to instruct you what to do with the deacon ballots and uh, open us up in prayer. Good morning. Today we are going to continue um, our series on missions, and we have a special guest with us today. This is Robbie Alexander. He's going to be speaking for us today. He is the director with North Carolina Baptist Men's Shelby Camp, Mission Camp. So he will be with us. Uh, he's here today with us, and he'll be speaking during the sermon time. Um, but what we need you to do with these ballots, as Chad said, please mark only two names, fold them over, and then pass them to the inside aisle. Um, and I guess the choir can give them all the standards. The deacons will be counting these ballots and we will announce, Jim, we will announce our two newly elected deacons um, at the end of the service. Any other ballots? Okay, thank you. Now as we begin our time of worship, if you would please join me in prayer, and please remember to continue to pray for Peggy McCrite as she is recovering from her knee surgery. Last night, she was taken to the emergency room um, from weakness and uh, her heart fluttering. They thought possibly she had a blood clot, but the scans came back, no blood clot, and as far as I know that she went home late last night. I'm hoping I haven't been able to get a hold of them this morning. But it was, it was after 11 o'clock when the, when the results from the scan came back last night. So uh, continue to pray for her. Um, the, the message I got was the scan said showed no blood clots and that her issues were mild, what she was dealing with. So, um, but just continue to pray for her as she is recovering from that because she's having a tough time. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we come humbly before your throne. Dear Lord, we thank you that we are able to meet in your house. Dear Lord, we are here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price and we are your children. And we have come together today to worship you. Now, dear Lord, there's things that we've got going on, things that we have to do that are part of the business of the church. But dear Lord, please do not let us lose sight of why we are doing those things. It is not to get our names on the roll. It's not to be able to stand up in front of people. It's not to make ourselves feel good. But dear Lord, it is to prove our faith. It is because of you. It is because of the cross. And may we never lose sight of that. 
The things that we do do not earn our salvation, dear Lord, but we do them as a result of our salvation. As a way of showing love to you and obedience to you and the command to go make disciples of all nations. Dear Lord, we thank you for that. As we go through this service today, may you have your will in the deacon election. May you have your will as Sandra and the choir lead us in worship. May you have your will done as Chad talks with the children. And dear Lord, speak through Robbie today. So that when we leave this place today, we know that we have been in the presence of God. May your Holy Spirit move among your people this morning. Have your way with us. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed. And it's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. I know Chad said not to give him thanks. But unless you were here for Bible school, you have no idea how he ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. Thank the Lord he is filled with that much energy. He did a fantastic job. And he's already bragged on the workers. Thank you, workers. But one group I want to point out is our youth group. Man, I pick on them. I'm so mean to them. But let me tell you, they're hard workers, and to be so faithful and not sitting on the back row trying to hide, they're right up here at the front. So thank you, youth, for all your hard work and your presence here and your support for our church. I just stand amazed at how the Lord uses this little church. I mean, we are active, busy. You, when, when you say, we need help, boy, you step up. So thank you for being a faithful church. So we all stand amazed at how much our Lord loves us and blesses us. So let's stand and sing. I stand amazed in the presence. Hymn number 547.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, thank you for the many blessings, and I pray now that you will bless this gift of our tithes and offerings to you. Bless this giver and the gift, for it is your holy name that we pray. Amen. Again, would you stand as we sing our hymn of praise, 206, Blessed Be the Name. entertaining it's kind of been a wild morning so and I also have an interesting question that could also be entertaining all right guys I got a question raise your hand if you've ever had a big problem raise your hand if you've ever had a big problem all right Isabel I want to know what is a big problem for an eight-year-old huh do what you, anybody else have a big problem? Anybody else ever had a big problem? Thomas, what's a big problem for Thomas? Oh, oh you were being mean and throwing a hissy, but that can be a big problem. Well, listen, problems get really big, but I want, I want you to look at something. All right, Teddy, stand up beside me. All right, so Teddy's a little bit, how tall is Teddy? He's a little bit more than three foot tall, but... So I'm six foot tall. Teddy's a little more than three foot tall. I want you to imagine if Teddy stood on my shoulders and you had a problem that was nine foot tall. That'd be a big problem, right? Well, we're going to talk about a guy today who had a big nine foot problem. And his name is David. He had a nine foot problem. And that problem's name was Goliath. Goliath was a big 
nine, over nine foot tall, big bad dude. And you know what made him bad? He defied God. He did, he did not honor God. He was a Philistine, that's right. He did not honor God at all. And nobody could take care of it. And here comes David. David was not nine foot tall. David, at this point in time in his life, David was not, I don't know, he, he, he might have got a little bigger when he got older, but at this point in time, he was not a big, muscular person. But, yes. About, if I stood up and Teddy stood on my shoulder, that would be a, a little more than nine feet tall. And so, David had a problem, and he had to solve this problem. And he went in with a sling. Um, you guys, now this is not a slingshot, but do you guys know what, do you guys know what a slingshot is? Yeah. All right, when I was, who has a slingshot? Anybody here have a slingshot? When I was like eight, I had a slingshot. Well, this was not a slingshot. Think of a, oh, yeah, Betsy has a slingshot. Well, so I want you to think of something sort of like a slingshot, except for you put a rock in it and you spin it around like this and you sling the rock. And that's what David had to solve his problem. But he had more than that. I'm going to show you what he had. In 1 Samuel 17, 47, he tells us what he has. Now listen to this. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear. Now listen to this. For the battle is the Lord's. Teddy. For the battle is the Lord's. Our God, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, the battle is His. And He will give you into our hands. Now he's talking to Goliath and he said, You know what? My God is bigger than you. And he's going to help me overcome my problem. And so I want you to remember, when you have problems in life, they might not be nine foot tall giants named Goliath. I hope not. But you're gonna, you, as you get older, our problems get bigger than not wanting to get up in the morning or not wanting to go to school. But no matter how big your problem is, you have a God, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe. He is by your side, and the battle is the Lord's. And we're going to learn more about David and Goliath as we go to children's church. Bow our heads, and you guys are going to sit right there, okay? God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word where we get to see all the people that had problems and had issues, and they, you, they put you first in their life. Lord, help us as we go through life to put you first and to remember that whatever the problem is, whatever the battle is, that the battle is yours. And if we put it in your hands, Lord, we can take care of it. All this I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, guys, let's go sit over here.
pleasure to have Robbie Alexander with us today and Robbie if you will come and just share what God has placed on your heart
sure we got sound. Okay, we're good. I always am uh, very skeptical when the sound guy goes, hey, we'll just mute you from the board. It's like, yeah, that's how you end up singing on a microphone in the middle of a crowd you don't know. Hey, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I really am. This is uh, one of the favorite parts of my job is, is I get the opportunity to go around just not because I'm anybody special, just because of the position that I'm in. I get the, the opportunity to go around and worship with churches uh, and, and to see uh, all the people that I'm serving with on a regular basis, and that's so much fun. So I, I want to thank you for allowing me to come speak to you this morning. And I was brought here under the, the pretense of uh, you guys are doing a missions month, is that right? So my number four in the missions month. Third in the missions month. Very cool. Well, my name is Robbie. Uh, Robbie Alexander, uh, my wife Christy and my daughter Reagan are not here with me this morning, but they're here with us in spirit. They're with their church family this morning. Uh, if you, if you, Christy's my age, obviously. Reagan's two and a half. She's about that big. We call her the director of operations and snacks there at the camp. Uh, she runs around like a crazy person, and we try to keep up with her. Uh, but here's what I want to do. I, I, I love talking about the camp, and I, I, I could talk to you all day about. The ministry that we're doing there and the, the way that we're approaching things and the strategies that we're using and the ways that you can get involved. And at the end of today, I want to do that a little bit if we've got time. Um, but, but here's what I think, too. Let me read a quote to you. This is a, a favorite quote of mine um, from a French writer. His first name's Antoine. I'm not going to attempt his last name in public. But here's what, here's what he says. He says, if you want to build a ship... Don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up men to gather wood and give orders. You teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And, and here's the, the implication of that is this. The, the part that he's implying, he's not saying is, if you can do that, they will figure out the shipbuilding thing. If you can teach them to yearn for the sea, they'll figure out how to build a ship. And I think missions works a lot the same way. Here's the deal. I could stand and talk to you all day long about, about missions opportunities and the way you can come to the camp and you can dig potatoes if that's your thing. You can build houses if that's your thing. You can do VBS if that's your thing. But instead, I think our time is better spent, one, on Sunday mornings when we're gathered corporately in the Bible. But two, I believe this. If, if I can teach you to yearn for God and His glory and His gospel carried to the ends of the earth, if I can teach you to yearn for that, you'll figure out the outreach thing. You'll figure out how to do all that stuff on your own, and I'll be here to help you walk through that. But this morning what I want to do is I want to go with you to the Old Testament. Now we're going to go to Joshua 24. And in Joshua 24, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 15. We're going to look at Joshua calling the people of Israel together and really... Uh, reaffirming something with them that I think we could all have reaffirmed in us. We're going to go to Joshua 24. And while you're turning there, I want to read something earlier in the Old Testament for you. I want to read with you in Genesis 12. Because in Genesis 12, something happens. In Genesis 12, uh, God begins to relate to a people that we later see is called Israel. And God begins to relate to these people through a man named Abram. And the way that God relates to Abram and relates to Israel is in this thing that we call a covenant. And actually, if you read through the whole Bible, the whole Bible plays out in a series of these things called 
covenants. And, and this is the Abrahamic covenant that we see in Genesis 12. We're under a new covenant now. But we're going to look at this covenant in Genesis 12. Here's what he says. This is the Lord speaking to Abram, who's later Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the covenant. Now, the cool thing about covenants is this. Covenants come along with promises. So God's in covenant with Abram and his family. And that covenant comes along with promises. And the promises we see then in verse 4. It says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired with them in Haran. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now here's the part to listen to. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Now here's the promise that goes with the covenant for Abraham. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said this, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So there's a covenant that God has made with Abram. He's going to give him, there's, there's two things the way people say this. He's going to give him a land, he's going to give him a lineage. Those are the two promises in this covenant to Abraham. And then we see the Lord give him that, the, make the promise of the land there at Shechem. That's where we're going to start for today. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for this morning, God. We've worshipped you through music. Uh, we've had to have, got to have a time of fellowship uh, together. And Father, I pray that now as we uh, enter a time of teaching that, that uh, I would be faithful to proclaim your word that it would be clear and that it would be effective, that we would have uh, soil that had been prepared already for that, hearts that were ready to uh, receive the truth in your word, come away from this as your body, as the bride of Christ, edified by hearing your word proclaimed. Some of this stuff is hard for us to understand. I pray that you will open our eyes and that you will allow us to be in fellowship with you this morning as we read through Joshua. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're in Joshua 24, and here's what's happened. I read for you in Genesis 12 the covenant being made with Abraham and the promise made to Abraham that he's going to have this land and this lineage. The one that we're going to look at today is the land. Well, what you don't see is then Abram and his whole crew, they go through this series of events. They end up in, in slavery in Egypt at one point. They come out of slavery under the leadership of Moses. They come out of slavery and into this wilderness area where, where they, they wander up to the land of Canaan. And because they, they don't necessarily have all the faith in God that they need, they send spies into Canaan. One of those spies' name was Joshua, the same Joshua that wrote Joshua 24. They come back, they give this uh, ill report. Joshua actually is one of the two that gives a good report. So this land that's been promised to them in Genesis 12, they're ready to take it, and they decide, no, it's not time. And, and what they get for that is uh, what's due of them, and that's to wander in the desert for 40 more years. 
At the end of that 40 years, the whole generation that was there that had balked at entering the promised land had died out. And just before they crossed the finish line into this promised, promised land, Moses, the guy that's been leading them, dies. And when Moses dies, he needs a successor. And the successor that God appoints to him is this man named Joshua. We read in, in Deuteronomy 31, it says this. It says, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to them. Remember Genesis 12. And you will put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So what we have is Joshua coming in on the heels of Moses. He's taking the reins of Israel. And Joshua's command is clear. He is going to lead them into the promised land. He is going to uh, be the, the one that God uses to deliver on his promise from Genesis 12. And then we see that happen. If you read through the book of Joshua, we see that happen. And it wasn't always a victory, but a lot of times it was. They went into the promised land full of these people who were not ready to give up their stake. And I don't want to get graphic about it, but it was a war. And it was a war that was, that was won by the hand of God working through the people of Israel. And they made missteps, and they got ahead of themselves a couple times and were, were punished for that. But all in all, the end of the story in the book of Joshua where we see leading up to Joshua 24, Israel wins. God makes good on His promise to give them the promised land. They go through, they conquer it, and now they have peace on all sides. They've divvied up the land between the tribes. And here's what happens in Joshua 24. Joshua goes back to that place from Genesis 12. Joshua goes back to Shechem, where the promise was made, and he gathers all these tribes of Israel up around him. And here's what he says. It says, Joshua gathered, this is verse 1, chapter 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. He summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses to Abraham, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the sea. And when they cried up to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. And then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent an invitation to Balaam, the son of Baor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. 
And also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land. This is the part we need to hear. I gave you a land on which you have not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them and you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Then the very beginning of verse 14 says this, Now therefore. Now I don't know where this came from. I, I, I hear it from a lot of different teachers. It's ubiquitous at this point. It's not mine. That's the point I'm making. I have heard, and I think it's corny but true, when you read the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. Once again, that's not great humor, but it does work. Now, I don't want to get too far into the grammar here, but that therefore in the Bible, that therefore at the beginning of verse 14 is called a linking word. And when we see that in the Bible, what we need to understand is that is telling us that the passage that came before and the passage that comes after share a connection. And when we see that particular linking word, it means that the, the, the words that we read in 14 and 15 are going to be based on and grounded in the truth that we see in verses 1 through 13. So what we see in 14 and 15 are, are, are fundamentally based on what we see in 1 through 13. And so here's what we need to see in 1 through 13, the particular truth that this therefore hinges on. And here's what I think it is. When we read 1 through 13, we see one thing sticking out. And that is that God is gracious. God is gracious. When He's dealing with Israel, He is just gracious. And what we mean by that is He is showing or He is giving divine grace to the people of Israel. He shows and gives grace. Well then, what is grace? If you Google that, or if you look up books on that, there are just volumes of literature written on what is grace. But, but here's what we can use for today. Grace, grace is undeserved favor. So when we read verses 1 through 13, and we say out of that that God is gracious, we say that because He is constantly extending favor to the nation of Israel, favor that they do not deserve. And if you've read up to that point in the Bible, you know that, that, pardon my language here, but Israel seems to be stuck in this pattern of stupid. They'll follow God and then they stray off into other places. The, the craziest example of this for me is when Moses is up on Sinai, right? He's receiving the Ten Commandments. Joshua was there with him. That's a side note. You know what Israel did? They melted their jewelry down, hammered out a god, or made a calf out of it, and went, look, it's God. Those are the people that God's dealing with here. Those are the people that are in this covenant promise with Him from Genesis 12. And those are the people that He's constantly extending grace to. And the reason for that is the grace of God is not about what Israel did. It's not based on what they deserve. It's about God and His promises and His faithfulness to His covenant and His people. The whole story is about God. If you don't believe that, let's just look at the language from 1 through 13. When you read through 1 through 13, it just, just, I'll give you the paraphrase here. It says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I gave him Isaac. I gave Jacob 
or I gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country. I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Your eyes saw what I did. I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I gave them into your hand. I destroyed. I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan. I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you. The, the, the shorter version of it is I took, I gave, I sent, I plagued, I brought, I did, I destroyed, I delivered. I, 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 I. You've got to hear that language from God. Know that he's not self-absorbed. He's just that good. He is that gracious toward Israel. And then he says, and you, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave it to you. You had not labored The cities that you were in, you had not built. The vineyards and the fruit that you're eating, you did not plant. You don't deserve, I gave it to you. That's grace. And and we could stop there and we could go home celebrating that God is gracious, that God fulfills His covenant, promises that, that He loves Israel and that He loves us. God is gracious, we could end it, but let's not. Because God is gracious is the truth that we see on the first side of that, therefore, in Joshua 24. Leading up to 13, and then in 14, we could read it like this. We could go, God is gracious, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's 14 and 15. And now listen, here's what I know. I know, just because I've been around the church long enough, if you're going to put something out of that passage on a coffee mug, what's it going to be? Right, verse 15, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so when I first started reading through this, I had already been pre-programmed for that. I'm going, hey man, the, the, the key text here is 15. And, and it's this thing where, where Joshua was just laying down an ultimatum for Israel and going, choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But mm, I don't know if that's right. That's there. Like, you can read the text that way. You can preach that sermon. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, but let's take a look at what he actually says. In light of the truth in 1 through 13, he says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. The drive of this passage is not choose who you're going to serve, as if all options are equal. The choose who you're going to serve, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua's afterthought from the exhortation there in verse 14. Because what Joshua really wants Israel to do is fear and serve the Lord. That's the command he's given them. What Joshua actually says is, God is gracious, therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. And if we synthesize all of that with the history of Israel... And the passage that we read earlier in Genesis 12, I think we're fair to do this. We're fair to say Joshua's standing in front of all of Israel, and at Shechem, that's important, he's standing where the promise was made, and he goes, you are God's covenant people, Israel. Act like it. 
You are God's covenant people, therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. Here's what I would say. When we read this passage as the church, let's resist the temptation to throw verse 15 on our coffee mugs. Let's do it with verse 14. Because I think if Joshua was standing right here, if Joshua was looking at us as a church, you've got to realize what I mean by the church. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in covenant with God. The old covenant is a different thing, but we are in this new covenant. Luke 22, Jesus says, this is the new covenant poured out in my blood. We are a new covenant people. We're in relationship with a God who is good and who is faithful and who is true to His promises now just like He was in Israel or in, in the Old Testament. So if Joshua stood in front of Israel at Shechem and said, you are a covenant people, act like covenant people, I can only imagine that if he was standing right here, he would say the same thing to us. Church, you are covenant people. Let's act like covenant people. Well, then the question that's obvious out of that is, okay, we're in. What, does, what do covenant people act like? And he gives two commands here in light of God's grace, in light of his covenant and his faithful keeping of his promises. He says, fear and serve the Lord. Let me look at my time. Okay, it's 11.17. I knew we wasn't going to have time to go into fear. We're going to put a pin in the, the fear of the Lord part of it. But I will say this. We tend to, to water down that word fear. And we tend to go, well, it doesn't mean fear. It means respect. Or it means reverence. Or it means... Once again, in this context, you've got to know who's speaking here. Joshua was a warrior. Joshua wasn't some shepherd boy laying out in the field picking flowers. Joshua was leading the armies of Israel through the promised land. He was stacking bodies right before he said this. This is a warrior telling you to fear the Lord. You're going to have to, to go back. I challenge you to do that. Go back and read through Joshua and, and, and figure out what that fear actually looks like. But the second half of this command is the one I want us to look at. Because when we talk about missions, and we talk about the mission camp, the word that always comes up is serving. We're serving on mission. And that's the second half of Joshua's command here. Joshua looks at Israel, and, and I think by extension would be looking at us going, you are covenant people, act like covenant people, and covenant people serve the Lord. So then the question we need to answer Serving the Lord. What does it look like for us to serve the Lord? First, we need to say this. Does God need us to serve Him? The answer is no. We read Acts 17. It says this. Is this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need us to serve Him like He's deficient in something, like we're going to come in and provide Him this missing piece that He's been needing all along. Actually, that verse in Acts says the opposite. It says that anything we would do, any gift that we would use, any talent or treasure that we would pour out in service to the kingdom, those are all things that God gave us in the first place. We're just giving it back to Him. So does God need us to serve Him? No. God's got His own business handled. 
So what does it mean then? In light of the truth of God's grace, what does Joshua mean when he tells Israel to serve him? What does it mean for us as New Covenant believers who are under a covenant that's poured out in God's very own blood? What does it mean for us to serve? And, and I think the best way to answer that question is to be faithful to the text. Let's look at Joshua's answer to that question. So we're not going to go through the whole thing, but skip down with me to verse 21. Because here's what happens. Joshua stands in front of Israel and says, Fear and serve the Lord. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And Israel goes, us too. We're going to serve the Lord too. We want to be faithful to God too. And he gives them a warning that, hey, the God you're claiming allegiance to, He is gracious, but He's holy. If you claim allegiance to Him and you continue to disobey Him, He's going to deal with that. And then in verse 21 we see this. He says, And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. In 22, Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you've chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. And He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. So when we ask the question, what does it look like for Israel, this covenant people, to act like covenant people? We see Joshua's instructions. And his instructions on how to serve God go like this. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord. If you remember the quote uh, from Antoine that I read earlier, do you want to know how to get men to build a ship? You incline their hearts towards the vast and endless sea. You want to get a covenant people to serve God faithfully? You do what Joshua was saying. You have them put away foreign gods and incline their heart toward the Lord. Another way to say that is turn your hearts from the false gods of the world and incline them to the one true God. Another summary of that might be repent and believe. Turn from the world to God. Turn from the world to Christ. And if your ears don't just ring with the gospel, then I, and I love you, but you need to read your Bibles. I want us to simply do this. I want us to simply think about what it looks like for us as a new covenant people, as people that are in covenant with a faithful holy, gracious, just God that keeps His promises? What does it look like for us to incline our hearts towards God? See, all of that starts in the covenant. This covenant that's poured out in the blood of Christ. See, because, because we believe as Christians, we believe that God, the one that created the universe, and as that Acts pastor said, and everything in it, we believe that He condescended as Christ. And that he took on flesh and that he became a man and eventually took on the punishment for our sins so that we could be reconciled to himself. He could reconcile us to himself. That sin that was separating us from God, that has been, uh, the debt for that sin has been paid for by God himself. It wasn't wiped away. It wasn't stricken from the books. It was paid for. That's different. This holy, gracious God in a move of pure, undeserved grace 
lived a perfect life for us, free from sin, and died on a cross so that we could be reconciled to Him. That covenant's written in the blood of Christ. The story doesn't stop there, though, because, because covenant people, three days later, Christ rose again. Not only did He pay the price for our sins, but He proved He was who He said He was. He proved that He could do what He said He could do because He overcame death. And that same Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And in His resurrection, we who were ransomed, we who were made heirs to the kingdom, we can sit as His church and wait for Him to return to gather His bride. That's a beautiful thing, that we can wait as a covenant people with a faithful God for Jesus to come back and gather His bride. And if Joshua were here today, I think he would look at our covenant and go, you are covenant people, so act like covenant people. He would say, church, put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts towards the Lord. And so I have a couple of exhortations for us as a 21st century church. Because our gods don't look like they looked for Israel. Our gods don't look like statues or golden calves or... Asherah poles, we don't have uh, necessarily high places that we would have set up to worship them. That doesn't mean they're not there. So what do our gods look like and what does it look like for us to incline our hearts to the Lord? A couple exhortations for you. One, parents in the room. I won't make you raise your hands, but parents in the room. Can I tell you, we're, we're around in the corner on 90 hours this week at the mission camp. I'm a little bit tired. But I love my daughter to death. And so when I'm a little bit tired and I come running home, she wants to jump on my lap and she wants to play. That's what we're going to do. So parents, I would tell you this. Parents, if you were tired and stressed out at the end of the day, what I need you to do is put away the gods called cell phone and social media and the gods called Netflix. And instead, incline your heart to the Lord. Spend some time in His Word. And the part that hits home for me is serve God by discipling your children. Take the time to do what Proverbs 22 says, to train them up in the way that they should go. That's what it looks like for a parent to incline their hearts toward the Lord. Retired folks, I won't make you give yourselves away either, but just listen to me. Yeah, I look forward to retirement, and I know that you have worked hard to get to where you are now. Theoretically, you have some extra time on your hands. What does it look like for you to incline your heart toward the Lord? I need you to put away the God called leisure. I'm going to the beach in two weeks. Don't hear me say don't go to the beach. What I am saying, incline your heart to the Lord by serving His church faithfully. Use your newfound freedom, your newfound time to dig into kingdom service go on mission lead a weekday bible study take a larger role in a local outreach ministry i know a really awesome one called the shelby mission camp if you're looking for one show the younger disciples around you what it looks like to be a seasoned christian living a life wholly devoted to your king incline your heart to the lord church leaders 
Put away the gods called gossip and pride and laziness and discord. They are gods that will ruin the church. You need to incline your hearts to the Lord by showing the flock what humble, obedient service looks like. Guard your life and guard your doctrine. Be faithful to study the Word of God so that you'll be fit to lead God's church into a world on mission that is becoming increasingly hostile. And if you don't fit into one of those three categories, this last one's for you, everybody. Church. Church, put away the God called self. Incline your hearts to the Lord by serving one another faithfully. Dedicate yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Church, my exhortation to you is the same as Joshua's exhortation to Israel. Let us remember that we are covenant people and that we should act like covenant people. Inclining our hearts to the Lord and in doing so, bringing Him the honor and the glory that He deserves. And as you guys prepare for the closing song, let's pray. Father, we love you and God, we're humbled that as your fallen creation, you would ever look down on us. That you would see us in sin while we were your enemies, the Bible says. And that even in that state, you would die for us. That you would send your son your perfect self down to condescend as a man, take on flesh, and to die the death that we deserve. That you would write a new covenant in your blood, a covenant that was, was made to reconcile us to you. And God, that you, you do that, not because we deep down inside have some little spark that makes it all worth it, but God, you do that only because you are good and you are gracious, and you are a loving Father. So God, we've opened up your word today, and we've looked at, we've looked at uh, your exhortations for Israel through Joshua. And, and God, I pray that we would take those things and apply them to our own hearts today. That God, we're in that new covenant with you, and that, that you will be faithful to your promises. You have been so far, and you will be forever because you don't change and we can rest in that and we can celebrate in that and we can worship in that and out of all of those things we can go and we can serve as your people and be ambassadors for a king and we can carry your gospel and the message of your glory into the world we can do that in shelby we can do that in Portland springs in cleveland county and we can do it in turkey and Hungary, and China, and South Africa. Father, I pray that, that the same grace you extended to us when we placed our faith in you, that you would extend it to us now. God, and give us hearts that are inclined towards you. Allow us to put away the gods of the world and incline our hearts towards you to live lives that give you the glory that you deserve. That we would live lives that would accurately display your grace to the world that we would serve you and that we would be on your mission father we love you and we ask these things in your son's name amen
Would you stand as we sing our invitational hymn, page 330, Amazing Grace.
Robbie is going to be out front as you dismiss. He's going to be uh, there for you to speak to if you want to speak to him. Uh, announcement before Jim comes and uh, announces the deacon and before Larry comes and dismisses us in a prayer, I do need to make you aware of this. I can't remember if Chad mentioned this. Because of the rain we had come through last night, the bad storm we had come through last night, and they're calling for another one this afternoon, we are moving our fellowship down the creek into the fellowship hall tonight. We are still going to have it, but we're going to be in the fellowship hall tonight instead of down at the creek because of the, 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 uh, the mud. Um, I know parents don't mind their kids getting wet, but when they come in looking like a mud, a mud monster, it's a different situation. So, uh, because that mud gets places you don't want to have to clean too much. candidates for being willing to serve and the new year will have two new deacons they are Doug Pittman and Dan Brannell Your prayer, your, our prayer, and your blessings will overcome these hearts. 